BorderCast podcast is a product of BorderCast.com. We are a dedicated team of meteorologists that provide weather forecasts, discussions, and analysis specific to Boulder County. If you want to receive email notifications for our posts, look for the subscribe button on our homepage. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at BoulderCast. If you have questions or comments or would like to suggest a topic for future shows, message us at contact at BoulderCast.com. BoulderCast, a Boulder take on weather. Hey, welcome to the Boldcast Podcast. Andy and Ben here, jo- joining you for another glorious podcast. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Recording on a Friday this time, so a little bit different, but it should be the same. So Yeah, switching it up from the Thursday night norm. Yeah, instead of Thursday Thursday, it would be blank blank Friday, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but... but what have you been up to this past week, Ben? Well, it's been a solid week since we recorded last. Yeah. And, well, I haven't up to much. Just work? I've been sick, so I haven't done too much. The weather hasn't been that great. Yeah. It's been at least recently. Pretty nasty. But feeling the bug. I think yeah. there's a bug going around. I think so, yeah. There's been people in our, at least in NOAA, that's been getting... Getting, getting sick and we had a meeting today um, the one person was giving a talk at our meeting and then our supervisor came in and she was going to sit in her normal spot uh-huh. <laughs> and then the lady's like you may not want to you know get too close to me I just I just had the flu or something and she's like whoa I better move to another spot on the table or something <laughs> but um, yeah so something <laughs> yeah nobody wants to get sick Something's going around, so. Yeah, I've been feeling it the last week. <laughs> but I should be immune this year because I got the flu shot. So, but nice. probably the first time I got it in years, I think. Uh. <laughs> so we'll test it out and see if it if I get the flu, I probably won't get the flu shot again. <laughs> but yeah, so. we'll see. We'll see if it you know jinxes you this year. Yeah, we'll see. Can't pass up a flu free or a free flu shot. <laughs> yeah, it's free. Yeah, two seconds. <laughs> That's true. But I don't know. They say you don't feel the the shot, but I felt it, so it's not not too. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but you know. Was it just like a single syringe, or was it something crazy? Yeah, like certain. one of those ones that have like nine needles in one. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a single one. Yeah, I didn't want to look. So. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, um, that's cool. You guys, you and Joseph did something last weekend, right? Oh yeah, that's right. We did. Uh, <laughs> so we went up to Fourth of July Trailhead, which is pretty much you go west on Canyon from Boulder, and then you basically veer off uh, that road and eventually get to kind of go past Eldora a little bit. Okay. And then, so I forget what the road is, but eventually it becomes pretty much dirt and rocks. It's a kind of a need, you need like a four-wheel drive car <laughs> to get there. Yeah, you, you learned that a couple years ago. <laughs> that was the first year. I think it was 2010. Yeah. We went to do Diamond Lake. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty hike. It's What? Diamond, Diamond Lake? Diamond Lake, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's pretty. Yeah, it was. Pretty easy, too. But, um, yeah. So you go up the 4th of July trailhead, and then you get off at... Uh, you park there, and then you go... Oh, we went all the way up to South Arapahoe Peak. So it's like 13-4-something, <clears throat> wow. I believe. Close to there. Yeah, and you start around 10, right? Started around 9.30 or so. I mean, nine. I mean, ten thousand feet. Oh, uh, I didn't look to see what the elevation was, but that would make sense. Yeah. Get based on the elevation, <laughs> the elevation gain. How tired you were? <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, that was definitely three thousand feet. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I was not in the best of shape, but it was. It was fun. Yeah, it's been a while since we did all those fourteeners. Yeah, it was we like just killed those that one day. August, I guess, or I guess it was August. I don't know when that was. Maybe. Yeah, maybe July. I cannot remember. But I think it was August, like mid-August. I don't know. Somewhere around there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there so any full colors up there? I guess uh, not. yeah. The yeah, the trail. The trailhead, the road <laughs> to the trailhead is pretty much all, pretty much all aspens. But a oh, yeah. lot of them had most of the trees were, the leaves were off the trees gone. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There were still some in Boulder, though, so it was a nice ride up to get there. Yeah. At least before that, so. Sounds good um, to me. Yeah, and you can see the glacier there, which is kind of cool. The one that supplies Boulder's uh, water and everything. You know it's not a real glacier, though, right? I heard it was a real glacier. No. No? It's definitely not a real glacier. Because I heard, well. It's just in the name. Oh, okay. Because I just kind of, like, looked it up after the hike. So I was trying to figure out if this was actually the one that was that feeds Boulder. It is, right? It seemed like it was, yeah. It said basically it's like a half mile across. Okay. Is that right? I don't know. I don't know. I know it's pretty big. But it's not a real glacier. So why isn't it isn't it a real glacier glacier? Well, the geological definition of glacier basically says it has to be flowing and Oh, because... Carving. Okay. I think so. It's just, it's, def- it's just a permanent snowfield. Because this one website, I guess it was Pro Trails or something, we're talking about it and they're like, it's classified as a real glacier because it's actually moving, but maybe that... It could be. Maybe that site, sure it's not, though. Maybe that site's wrong, then. I read something that said there's no glaciers in Colorado. Hmm. Okay. The nearest one's in Wyoming. I mean, that's that's fair enough. <laughs> But I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I always thought a glacier had to contain ice instead of just snow. Yeah, that's part of it. It can't, That's a permanent <laughs> snowfield. Just yeah. like St. Mary's Glacier. Remember that hike? Yeah, yeah. That definitely wasn't a glacier. <laughs> I mean, it was long. <clears throat> and just a big snowfield in that valley. Okay. You're going to say that snowfield on Audubon is a glacier? <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to say that one. <laughs> I don't even know if there's really a permanent snowfield on Audubon. I mean, I guess there is, but... That one's definitely there. That one's been there for years. Is that the one, like, in the... I can't picture it, but... What? <laughs> um, the one, like, kind of before you it, get to the top? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think I know what you mean. It's, like, to the right of the summit. Yeah. Down. Where people were skiing down it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always red in the summer. Yeah. Pink. <laughs> With algae, but yeah, yeah. So I think, but 
The yeah. geologists get heated when you call permanent snowfields glaciers. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Just like when I wrote my paper, some of the people that reviewed it didn't like me using the term accumulation. Over, over Greenland? Yeah. Why didn't they like accumulation? Um, Because, I mean, snow accumulates. <laughs> <laughs> no, they wanted me to call it height change. The height of the Greenland glacier? Like, say the ground's there and it snows like 10 inches. That's not 10 inches of accumulation, it's 10 inches of surface height change. <laughs> so I had to reword my whole paper because, like, two like geologists didn't like wow. it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's heard... not real accumulation because accumulation in, like, meteorology sense is different than glaciology. Oh, because you were looking at accumulation of the glacier? Um... You no, were... not even really. It would, they were just being stupid. Okay. Because <laughs> I was saying, it would be the same way then if you're defining it the same way as a meteorologist would. But I guess not, If according to the reviewers. They also made me change the wording liquid equivalent snowfall rate oh. to water equivalent snowfall rate, which sounds so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, you gotta do what the reviewers say, I guess. Yeah, they're like, no one uses liquid equivalent. Actually, everyone does, except for you. Because glaciologists like water equivalent. You know, like snow water equivalent. Yeah. For, you know, sweet. For mountain snowpack and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of going along those lines, but uh-huh. it doesn't really make sense for meteorology. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. But, anyways, what were we discussing? Oh, the glacier? The glacier. So you yeah. had a good hike? Was it pretty yeah. brown up there? It was, yeah, it was pretty brown. Like, it's like, that place is beautiful in the summer. Yeah, I was looking at pictures in the summer, and it's like really green, but all the grass was pretty much brown. <laughs> brown That's and dead. There were a lot of uh, pikas. I didn't see a lot, but I heard a lot of them, you know, making little sounds and stuff. So I think they're... That's good. I haven't seen a lot of those in a while recently. I think they're getting ready for the long winter. They know it's coming. Hopefully they've got enough food in place so they can survive. But Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. It was a little windy, but it wasn't extreme. I was looking, it was only like twenty or thirty knots. Yeah. At five hundred yeah. It wasn't too bad. So I figured it wouldn't be too windy. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. Was it wor- worse than uh, Mount Bross? Or better? Oh, it was it was better. You mean yeah. in terms of wind? Yeah. Oh yeah, Bross was like terrible. <laughs> oh, I didn't think Bross was that bad. Or which what about the time we had Snicktail with Mike? Okay, yeah. Well, I would say St. Rain was the worst. Okay, St. Rain's definitely the worst. <laughs> we put Mount Bross after St. Rain. They're close. Yeah, I would <laughs> say after, though. What about, yeah, okay. Or Mount Cameron. Maybe Cameron was the worst one. Uh, yeah, that one could have been worse. Because it, it was colder weird. up there, it seemed it was like. Weird. And it wasn't as but sunny. Like Lincoln was, like, quiet. It was, yeah. The Democrat was quiet. It's like, still. It's amazing how that works. Two feet away. Yeah. But. That's good. Yeah, it was a good hike. Is there any exposure? Um, To get to the last, so basically the three quarters of the the hike is pretty much strolling up a a mountain. And then you get to the last maybe quarter mile, I would say. Okay. Where you actually start to go up that, uh. Uh, the uh, the actual peak, and then it's pretty. It's a little bit more narrow, but the exposure wasn't n- nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Because you look at it from 
close proximity and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, that looks like it's going to be like Long's Peak, oh. kind of like exposure. Yeah. But it was actually pretty, pretty good. It wasn't too bad. And there was a pretty well-defined trail even up at that point. I mean, there's a lot of rocks up there, but it's, it was pretty, it wasn't, it was pretty good. It's good. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently if you want to do nice. north, north Arapahoe Peak, you have to go down a saddle. Yeah. And then go across. And that looks a little bit more <laughs> challenging. So, Is I'm it glad. Is class three or four? Joseph said it was class four, but you said it was class three, so. I don't know what I said. It's obviously I not. I knew there was only like one part that was really hard. I mean, it's not class two. That's all I know. You have to climb like 20 feet up this rock. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm <laughs> glad. I'm glad Joseph didn't want to do that. Yeah, you didn't have nearly enough time to do that. It would have got dark. Yeah, the as clouds. Late as you got there. The clouds were coming in again. Not and the storms. It started to rain. Yeah, it was getting dark as we were going down. So people were still going up behind us, and I guess they were still thinking that they were going to be okay. But yeah, because we met one guy. We got to the basically close to the bottom, and some guy was like trying to find the trail he got a little bit lost but he was trying to find the trail up and so i was just telling joseph i was like why would he go up at this hour you know it's basically like three o'clock and it was already starting to rain a little bit plus you're gonna lose daylight so I, yeah just not a good idea i don't know but maybe he was gonna race up or something i don't know yeah <clears throat> sorry yeah it wasn't ideal yeah yeah that's, yeah. I guess there was a huge ridge in place, so it's not like he's going to get trapped in a freak snowstorm. Yeah, you probably would have been... Uh, even if he stayed there overnight, it probably was only in the 40s. Yeah, we didn't really hear any thunder, so I guess he was <clears throat> he was probably good. So, that's all I've been up to recently. Outside of uh, research at work and everything. and That's about it, yeah. So... A, sh- a short banter, I guess. <laughs> um, I can't think if I did anything else. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, speaking of uh, your Greenland paper, I submitted my final revision last last week, last Friday. So, waiting to hear from the editor, which could take weeks, who knows. <laughs> so. Nah, they'll accept it. Hopefully they'll accept it. I didn't... Oh, I didn't address all the changes, you're good. I didn't address all of the changes that one reviewer wanted, but he basically wanted a complete rewrite. Not a complete rewrite, but a big change yeah. from where it was. So hopefully the editor doesn't come back and be like, reject. No. Some people, one of the reviewers wanted that for mine, basically. Oh, they did? Yeah. And, and he wanted me to split the paper into two papers. <laughs> would have been good, I guess. I mean, you know, I had double the papers, but... The second paper wouldn't have been done, and I would have had to do more. So, yeah, who knows? You never know what the editor's going to say. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of hit or miss. Yeah, especially they don't know what your your area is, pretty much. They're just kind of relying on the reviewers. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else happen? I saw a seagull today. Oh, you did? Yeah, <laughs> that's not that exciting. But <laughs> they're going. When I was coming out of King Supers, there was a seagull again. I swear he lives there. 
<laughs> on top of King Supers? No, just flying. Oh. <laughs> Maybe he lives near that Chinese restaurant because he really likes the smell of the Chinese food. He probably does. <laughs> Reminds me of San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Best Chinatown in the country. <laughs> but, uh... But, uh... Yeah, I looked it up one day and, like, seagulls live everywhere, not, even, not just by the ocean. So, anywhere in the United States? Well, not anywhere in the United States, I guess, but they're less frequent, but they can live pretty much anywhere. They don't need to, like, live by the ocean and have fish and stuff. I guess they can go in lakes, I guess, and grab fish. I don't know. Or do, do they eat? They can live everywhere, they migrate, so they're probably permanent resident seagull at King Super somewhere. I see them, like, a bunch of times. You should give them some food next time. <laughs> yeah, keep them home, keep them happy, <laughs> keep them around. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, so we jump into this week. What happened the past week in the yeah, weather? I guess we should. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy week. Yeah, it's been by like, summer standards. <laughs> compared to say the last two months. Yeah. It's a reverse. <laughs> yeah, it was the most exciting event. Yeah. So what happened? So we had relatively mild temperatures leading up to this week. Right. Um, well, I mean, not as cold as we had this week, pretty much. Well, yeah. So the whole month of October has been extremely warm. We're actually on pace to break the record for the warmest October, but that probably went down the drains. <laughs> <laughs> we were more than we were near ten degrees above average. Wow. Which is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. But I think the record was like seven. So there's still a chance. But anyways. Yes, we had, what, you guys went hiking last weekend, and it was in the 80s, I think. In Boulder? I'm not 100% sure. 70s or 80s, for sure. Yeah. And, actually, no, not 80s, 70s. Yeah, 70s. So we had our last 80-degree day, it was last, like, last Wednesday. 70s sounds right, yeah, because it was in the 40s <clears throat> on the hike, so <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, it was pretty nice. But yeah, we had that decent ridge, just a couple of nice last... Warm days on Monday and Tuesday in the 70s. And the uh, cold front kind of came through in the evening on Tuesday, right? Or yeah. was it... I mean, cold air didn't really come in till Wednesday, but I felt like the breeze was blowing in Tuesday late afternoon. Something yeah, like that. it definitely came in. We had those thunderstorms starting to pop up. Feeding on that. Yeah. The beginning of severe weather... In the plains or wherever from I that? I think we did, but not anywhere near border. I think way out by like Lyman, and then maybe in Colorado Springs. Okay. I don't know what it was. It was probably like one inch hail or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was anything extraordinary, but. Yeah, so Tuesday's high was 71. Then we had some good lightning on Tuesday night. As the front passed, and we had like a piece of energy <coughs> moving overhead. Yeah. A little upper level divergence. Getting some convection. Yeah. It's that was pretty nice. <laughs> that was pretty good to see. I don't think any there was any really close lightning. I could just see a lot towards Denver. Yeah, I, I saw I a lot to anything. I saw a lot to the south, yeah. We missed out. Yeah, as we do a lot. I think some of the areas in like southeast Denver got uh, a lot of rain that night with those storms. Hmm. Yeah, they were 
They were pretty good Over looking. Range. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. So and then what? Yeah. That front went through. Yeah, we basically dropped in the forties, up to through Thursday. Yeah. Pretty much. And almost today. <laughs> almost yeah. But we barely got. Well, we got into the, up the mid fifties today. Hmm. But yeah, Wednesday was pretty much a solid rain event. Um, well, in the morning hours, at least. Yeah. So what was? So we had the uh, cut off upper low in the southwest. Was that the main driver of this kind of upslope precipitation, in your opinion? Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, so remember, this is the same system that affected us back on like October tenth. <laughs> so it was basically just kind of sitting. It's a cut off low. It sagged down into Mexico and sat there for a while, and then went west over the Pacific Ocean and sat there for a while, and then slowly came north, <laughs> got absorbed by the jet stream, and then scooted over a little bit, and then cut off again, (laughs) and slowly moved across our region. Yeah. And we had good, pretty good uh, moisture. I don't know what the values were, um, as far as, like, precipitable water, but it might have been close to, like... A little bit above average? Like, way above average for October. I mean, I don't know what the values were, but I don't know. Could have been record-breaking, near record, I don't know. Yeah. I would be looked, interested to see what it was. You should have looked at the uh, GFS precipitable water when you did the week ahead forecast. And I did, but because it was close, to, if it was close to one point two or something, yeah, it would have been one point two. I, I mean, it was, I, I, if it was close to one. It would probably would have been above average. Yeah. Well, it's definitely above average. <laughs> That's not a question. I don't know what it was though. But um, the upper low was that mainly was, over, like say Arizona. Like, it was pretty far south. Yeah, it really cut off south, and it was pretty much centered over, like, Arizona. Yeah. And then, so yeah, it kept a, ended up keeping a lot of the, well, it doesn't seem like it, but it ended up keeping a lot of the moisture and uh, activity to our south and east. Which makes sense. Because we didn't, we didn't get a real direct hit from this. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, parts of Texas got, I think, five or six inches, and New Mexico got... More as well. Mm, wow. Yeah, I know Texas is in a drought yeah. part of part of the state, so that's good. Yeah, I think the the non drought part got most of it. Oh. I mean there's a lot of it's probably in drought, <laughs> but the panhandle got the brunt of it. Oh, okay. Um but yeah, and that system so Wednesday we got the first wave. It was mostly just that cold front. And then Thursday we had the actual Trough axis passing us. So we got another round of rain, remember that. Yeah. And then a surface low developed. Oh, it did, okay. It pretty did. much scooted up along the uh, Kansas Colorado border. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it was a big comma shape, pretty much. Yeah. On that, whatever day that was, Thursday. Thursday. Typical comma, comma shape. Yeah. I guess there wasn't probably wasn't a Denver cyclone that developed, <laughs> <laughs> like there was in the 2013 flood. But, no, uh, hope not. Yeah. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't that <laughs> slow of moving. We kind of got lucky; it didn't move any slower. <laughs> yeah. Got swept away fairly quick for how far south it was. It was all the way down, you know, northern Mexico, Arizona region. Yeah. Yeah. 
but and even brought snow uh almost down to like what maybe close to eight thousand feet elevation um snow snow levels yeah maybe seventy maybe seventy five hundred or something at least on the webcams it looked yeah, like I'd say there were some probably some wet snowflakes down to seventy five hundred yeah okay. like, but accumulation I would say not anything below eight thousand yeah probably eighty five hundred <clears throat> because I know uh Netherlands and Allen's Park and Ward they only got like an inch or two what's the elevation of Netherlands mm-hmm. Netherlands like eighty five hundred I think Ward's closer to ninety five hundred. Maybe nine. Allen's Park's probably in the same area. Yeah. Okay. All along peak to peak. Okay. Highway, so. So Eldora must be close to ten then. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. on their webcam, they had a decent amount of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. So I don't know what Eldora is exactly. But that, that camera looks like it's at the base of the ski resort. It so. does, yeah. Yeah. I would but. say they're up around 9,500 or 10. Yeah. I don't know what they got as far as snow. I saw Bale got nine inches. Nice. And I think uh, Loveland got seven. I don't know. Hmm. But it was pretty yeah, good. It's pretty good, yeah. Pretty significant snow. And um, we'll probably. Nothing crazy, I guess. We'll probably see that when the skies clear this weekend. Uh, oh, yeah. And we'll probably get to see the white. You can see it a little bit today. Yeah, I didn't see too much because basically Noah's like. Oh, yeah. Nestled up against the foothills and then yeah, it was cloudy. Too, but uh, too close. Probably see the white the white snow cap peaks. Yeah. Long's peak didn't look that snowy. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. It never does. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a, I think it's too steep or something. I don't know. The snow just falls off and goes. It blow, just blows off. I don't know. <laughs> well, it was yeah. It's further north too. So maybe that system being just a little bit too far south. Maybe kept most of it south of uh, Long's Peak. Yeah, that's probably true. But, um, but yeah, the surprise it got as much cool air as we did. Yeah. To get snow down to eight thousand feet, pretty surprising. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know what the mechanism was, because I don't think the models were showing anything like that. No, I mean. I was expecting down to ten thousand feet or ninety five hundred feet. I guess but the. I mean, Wet bulb temperature was pretty low, I guess. Maybe. So maybe the dry air we had in place leading up to that event. Yeah. So maybe wet bulb was just really low. It was also more of a direct hit than I think anyone expected. Yeah, probably true. We got way more precip than expected. (laughs) (laughs) Not way more, I guess, but... I was thinking around an inch is what we would end up with. Yeah. But we ended up getting about an inch and three quarters. Where does this put us for the month of October for precipitation? Well, the official Boulder site at NOAA hasn't updated their page yet. (laughs) So we don't know what they have, but BoulderCast has two and a half inches. In terms of the average? The average is like one and a half. Okay, so we're both. So we're already at two and a half. <laughs> in a few days, yeah. So we basically erased whatever dry period we had. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a good soaking rain. It lasted for, you know, 36 or more hours. Yeah. Pretty solid rain. Just think if it was just like 10 degrees colder, <laughs> we would have had maybe a foot and a half of snow. Yeah. 
course, I guess snow to liquid ratio would have been pretty low, but still, yeah, probably at least like a foot. One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we probably would have gotten a good deal of snow. Yeah, but would have been pretty bad for the trees, I bet, because it would have been a wet snow. But it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. If it was colder, there'd be less moisture. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, you're right about the power. Could have been the power outages. Yeah. But we dodged a bullet. It wasn't cold enough. I think during the height of the storm, it was uh, like 45 in Boulder. So it wasn't yeah. that close to that blizzard situation. Yeah, yeah. But we were still needed another 10 degrees or more. Pretty much, yeah. And, um, yeah, but I, so I was uh, going to work this morning, and I saw a car that had probably like six inches of snow on it. Wow. And it kept stopping and the snow would fall off in the road. Like, this is my first shot. I was like, wow, what is that? I tried to dodge it. <laughs> like, caught me off guard. Wait, I mean, so was he, you were supposing he was coming from the foothills? Oh, well, he had to. It was an SUV. Okay. <laughs> Every time he, like, turned, a whole bunch of snow fell on the road. <laughs> that always happens, though. It People does. drive down to work from the other one. I don't know. He had a good... He had a good Four to five inches on his car, I would say. Yeah, that's impressive. But, yeah, pretty cool. It looked like it was still snowing in the mountains today. Yeah. Like in the high country. It should be. There's some northwesterly flow. Oh, yeah, okay. Could have been like some cap clouds or something. Yeah. Did it look like that or look like upslope? Yeah, it looked like some kind of cap cloud or... I don't know. I just remember it looked like there was like snowflakes in the webcam, so. Oh yeah. So in oh, the. Which part? Like. Um. I don't know. Maybe was it Trail Ridge Road? <laughs> Possibly. Should have been. <laughs> it looked, That's a good northwesterly flows. It looked look pretty. It looked really white, actually. Yeah, Trail Ridge is up there. I mean, you're not gonna get up there anymore this you year. Should check the nine watt Tundra cam. Yeah, I should. I should check the uh, the I highway the highway roads too. From C dot. Oh yeah, uh, those are always nice too. Those are like moving in real time, so those are nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, first taste of winter, except for Boulder. <laughs> yeah. So, still Ooh. haven't gotten that first snowfall. Yeah. I don't know. I'm skeptical for this month. Yeah. There was some kind of system next week, but that was it's been a while since I looked next I, week. I know. It was looking decent, but now it doesn't look nearly cold enough and strong enough to do anything. Yeah. In my opinion. I think it'll be I don't know. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of rain on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. But then we'll be drying out again. Nothing like this storm it looks like. <laughs> yeah, so it's looking like November would be our shot of Snowfall, <laughs> our first chance maybe. That so. was a good week. It was a good week. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have some different weather. Yeah, I got tired of the sunny skies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everyone was okay with that. I think so. Looking yeah. like, I don't know, Portland or. I think it was the first week in months that I actually wore pants as opposed to wearing shorts to work. <laughs> so yeah. definitely a change. It's true, I wore actual non-sandals for the first time since, like, May. No, probably June. 
don't know if I'd go that far <laughs> to not wear non-sandals. But what? I don't know if I'd go that far to wear sandals. Oh, yeah, until October, but... Oh, yeah, I've been wearing sandals. <laughs> I'll probably start back up next week when it gets back in the 60s. But the 40s and rain is not good for sandals. No. I'm walking on the bus and stuff. Yeah, it's slippery. Um, yeah, what do you... I don't know where I was going with that. Watching the lady cross the street. Some kind of question, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> She's arming her alarm <laughs> in the massage parlor. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, anything else about the previous week? Um, I don't know. We talked about the rain, we talked about the snow. What if that cold front came through today? There's a secondary one? Yeah. I don't know. When I looked on Monday to do the week ahead post, there was supposed to be a week cold front on Friday. That was going to be key to determining the high temperature for today. I don't know if it ever came through. It did start out partly sunny and then it got overcast, so maybe maybe that was... Right now it's kind of socked in again. So maybe that was the front, the week upslope. I don't know. Whatever moisture is in place, it's kind of add a little bit more cloud cover to what... A little of moisture we already have. Yeah, it's been really moist. Um, I'm not so, sure if I can pick up a front going through. No, there's not a front. Maybe it's like a surface trough or something. Nope, not even a surface trough. I'm just looking at the pressure. Oh, okay. So maybe it's supposed to come tomorrow or something. Or not at all. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of a weak something going on around 3 p.m., that was probably the rain. I don't know. I don't think a child think a front went through. Right now we have westerly winds. So that'll catabatic. Clear out some of the skies. Not catabatic, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but tonight we got the frost advisory, which I think is a little overdone. I don't know. Frost advisory is kind of basically. Well, I mean it's true, but um, that one maybe it was a week or two ago we got into the at least my place. In Gunbrail, we got to the upper 30s. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see I could see outlying areas going below freezing. Yeah, I have a feeling Gunbrail will be in the 32 to 34 range tonight. So, you have to let me know when it gets down to. Yep, yep. But I think in the city here, I don't think we're going to get below 37. Yeah. That's my gut feeling, but Especially, I'm not bringing my plants in. So, I'm p- placing a lot of faith in my well, forecast. Well, your cactus can go at least a few degrees below freezing. Yeah. Mid-20s, right? That one big one? Yeah. The guy told me it could take down to, like, 25. So... But I don't know how he knows that. I don't know. It's a Peruvian cactus. <laughs> right along the Eastern Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I don't know how he knows that. It's probably never gotten into the 20s. It's true, right yeah. Right next to the ocean. <laughs> yeah. But... Who knows? Yeah, I would say... In, in Boulder, it'll be hard, I guess, because you have the catabatic wind from the foothills at, at night. And that kind of keeps, you know, the atmosphere a little more mixed in the lower at, in the surface. So keeps the temperature up from <laughs> getting that cold. <laughs> but once you're a little bit further away, like further east, say like, you know, Louisville or Gun Barrel, or even Niwot, you probably have a better chance of going below freezing. Yeah, that's for sure. 
So. Yeah. Yeah, if we don't have anything else to mention, then we can go into the listener has a question of a previous podcast. Oh, yeah. We do have a question this week. <laughs> Just a reminder, you can email us at contact at bouldercast.com if you got questions. Yeah, we'd like, um, to, we'd like to hear. But we got a question from uh, listener Eric in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey. Hey, Eric. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Apparently you enjoy Colorado weather. Yeah, maybe he's... as much as us. Maybe he's a frequent visitor. Yeah, maybe he's planning a trip or... I don't know. Just wants to... You know, there's not a lot of good weather podcasts out there, so... Yeah. People from around the country could, you know, get interested in this. We don't necessarily have 100% specific to Colorado. Yeah, we can expand a little bit. (laughs) But anyways... Eric says, Hi gang, I'd like to submit a question to the dedicated team of meteorologists at BoulderCast. Do you guys think the combined phenomenons of elevated sea surface temperatures in the equatorial and subtropical Pacific Ocean and the Pineapple Express will result in snowstorms or good ski conditions this winter in the Boulder area? That's his first part of his question. And then he says, If so, can you please explain the mechanisms that might be behind this process? a very good question it's a good question Eric there's a lot a lot going on there yeah do you want to start it off Ben or well the bulk of this question really comes down to he's wondering if El Nino and the blob essentially the warm water in the Pacific Ocean actually I looked at the uh, the latest anomalies and it looks like the blob is kind of dissolved a little bit I actually seen that as well I was going to make a post about that (laughs) and how it could possibly impact their weather and so Maybe that's in a good way. Maybe that's uh, going to be more of an Enso impact and not an interaction between the blob and Enso. But remains to be seen. Yeah, I saw that as well. But it looks like it's slowly kind of mixing, mixing out in the in the ocean. So. And so what do you? Th- so yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. So I guess the, we should say. Do we think that warm water is going to stick around through the winter, first off? In the North Pacific? Northeast? Well, both, I guess. Oh, for Enso and... and Enso and or uh, the Pacific? I would say it's <clears throat> a pretty likelihood that Enso is going to stay warm, at least. Yeah, CPC gave it a 90% chance of being El Nino, greater than 90% chance of being El Nino through, yeah. through May, I believe. And then I think May is only 60% chance. So yeah. it could switch to neutral. Or it could stay in so next year, too. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I did see they have like a 20 or 30% chance of La Nina in like July. Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah. It's probably going back to 30, 30, 30 in July. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, so El Nino will be around this winter. Yeah, if you... Just adding to that, if you look at the Climate Prediction Center, they have... On their website, they have... You can look at the surface anomalies, but you can also look at the depth of the anomalies mm-hmm. so you can kind of see how how warm it is below the surface and it just kind of like remains there in the past few months it's been like that um, like anomalies of four degrees mm-hmm. or more and so Isn't amazing? I mean it's amazing see how they get those measurements uh, it's like those CTDs or what's CTDs oh uh, drop zones 
those things that like go down that we learned in our oceanography class? They have those. <laughs> but the one specific to ENSO are along the... Now I can't remember what it's called, but they're basically an array of buoys. That, buoy arrays. That like release something? or No, they're just always there. So they have There's a... There's a floating surface sensor and a buoy, and then it has a string going down from it. Really? And every like 100 feet they have a temperature sensor or something. 100 meters. Oh, so like there's no like or 10 meters maybe there's no shark or whatever that's gonna bite that line off I guess not. <laughs> but yeah they have something like that and it has a name which I can't necessarily remember I'm gonna look up but yeah they call it they're arrays and they're inside those zones that would make sense then why they they're always they're stationary I mean it seems pretty high resolution um, but yeah those anomalies while you're looking that up those anomalies are pretty warm over four degrees Celsius above above average. So, and you look at the mm-hmm. trend in that; it just keeps. It just looks like it keeps pumping in warm temperatures, and like it. I guess it's because of the reduced reduced amount of uh, upwelling yeah. in the eastern Pacific. So it just keeps, you know, regenerating and just continually staying really warm. So. On that note, I would say, you know, Enso's going to remain through the winter at least, you know. So I would agree. I wouldn't see where the, how that, I couldn't see how the warm temperatures could mix out, you know, in a few months. <laughs> I would say it would take a lot longer, so. Um, yeah. Okay, so, anyways, that is called the Tropical Atmospheric Ocean Array. Part of the Tau project. Oh, okay. It's been there for 25 <laughs> years. And they're called moorings. Wow. 25 years. That's impressive. Yeah, more or less. Near real-time daily average surface and subsurface data. Hmm. Sea surface temperatures and subsurface temperatures. It's amazing. But anyways. Yeah, that's cool. Um, there's that. What were we discussing? Oh, what about the bomb? Oh, we, discuss- we just kind of discussed this last week. We yeah. think it might remain, but it's going to be easier to break down the El Nino, right? Yeah. Because it's a little more north and not as isolated from the, or, sorry, less isolated from the storm tracks. Yeah. So, I mean, it is sort of confined to the Gulf of Alaska a little bit, but, so maybe it has a little bit of some uh, isolation with the uh, the western United States, the continent, kind of there, but... yeah. It looks like it's slowly mixing out, so... Um, and maybe the effects of ENSO as well are playing a role in that, like, you tend to get a stronger elution low in the Gulf of Alaska, and that's going to bring in stronger surface winds. It's going to kind of help mix out whatever anomalies you have. Um, but, I mean, yeah. that would also increase surface temperatures along the west coast. Because it would reduce the amount of upwelling, say, over at California. Why is that? Well, because you'd have... So, climatologically, you'd have high pressure over the North Pacific. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would, based on the Coriolis, you'd, oh, yeah. have, uh, you'd, have, you'd have Ekman uh, divergence, I guess, away from the coast. Yeah. But if you have southerly winds, you're going to have yeah. more Ekman convergence toward the coast. Yeah. So... You can actually make California... 
<laughs> so, yeah. So, I think there's a good bet it'll remain around for the first half of winter, the first next couple months. I would agree, yeah. That's a lot of upper ocean heat content. But, um, yeah, I would agree. But you'd probably also see cold anomalies start to develop in the central North Pacific, which would be... So you'd get, like, sort of like a... I would say, like, a circular area of warm anomalies along the west coast, up into the Gulf of Alaska. But then to the west of that, in the central North Pacific, you'd have cold anomalies developing because you'd have... Basically, if you... I mean, you have to look at it climatologically, but if you have westerly winds over the central North Pacific from this stronger low pressure, that's going to create Ekman pumping towards the south. So it's going to create like a divergent area in there, and it's going to help get some upwelling, if that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. Does it make sense <laughs> to the listeners that don't know what Ekman pumping is? But, uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, basically what we're talking about is the Coriolis force. So the Coriolis force is directed um, to the right of to the right in the northern hemisphere and depends on the surface wind. Um, so if you have a westerly wind, to the right of that would be towards the south. So yeah. that would produce Ekman pumping to the south if you have a westerly wind. I guess that's the easiest way I can explain it. Yeah. It's not, there's no real easy way to explain that. <laughs> Other than if you have a western wind, it pushes water to the south. Yeah, and because of that, if you're pushing water to the south, you have to conserve, um, I guess, ocean volume in some sense. Yeah. So you have to... Re- re- yeah, or mass. So you have to replace it. Replace that ocean water from below. Yeah. So you're going to bring in colder water. It's a circulation of sorts. Yeah, circulation. So. Um, okay. Something Enough like about that. that. Yeah, we kind of went on a divergence. Major tangent from the question, but he also mentions the Pineapple Express. Yeah, so maybe. Explain what that is. I don't know a whole lot about it. Maybe you know more about it than I do. I just know it's something related to maybe the Indian Ocean, the Western Pacific. Well, it's just basically a term for the subtropical jet stream. Yeah. It originates, yeah. originates from Hawaii. Essentially, <laughs> in, in, in reference to the Americas, I doubt anyone else in the world uses the Pineapple Express term. No, probably not. Other than like the Weather Channel, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, essentially, it's, it can be a really good source of moisture for our storms, right? Yeah, because it has linkages to the subtropic areas like Hawaii, brings up the moisture from there, which can then mix with our weather systems. Yeah. So that's what I don't know how Eric really knows that. Are you a meteorologist, Eric? <laughs> he could be, yeah. I don't know how he would think that would be related to snowfall, but it could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. So it could interact with our storm systems in the winter and bring more moisture, which could feed to more snow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we know that the subtropical jet during El Nino should be stronger because the Hadley cell is stronger, and the subtropical jet is essentially a part of that circulation. Yeah. So warmer water by the equator, um, <laughs> more a stronger thermal Hadley cell. So yeah, basically the Pineapple Express can be considered stronger. Yeah. With El Nino in place. Yeah. So what do we think about that? 
how would that plan do? So a question eventually boils down to what would help snowstorms and ski conditions. I think, I think overall, I think ski conditions will be will be good this year. Um, I mean, you're going to get a stronger moisture feed from the southwest because of the stronger subtropical jet due to El Nino. And you have, you have, climatologically, you have that, as you mentioned earlier, you have the, the Pineapple Express that comes in with or without Enso. Um, so you kind of combine both of those together. I mean, in terms of, I guess in terms of Boulder, I'm not really sure because... Um, kind of the correlations uh, between Enso and Colorado in general are kind of neutral in some ways. So there's a lot of other yeah. a lot of other internal variability that goes on at, um, at the same time that can kind of, you know, I mean, that means that you have to fo- focus on not just Enso but other other factors, but um yeah. I would we had a post about this. Yeah, that's Recently, right. it was more related to specifically Boulder, the city, but you can almost apply it to the mountains as well, at least the eastern slopes. Yeah. Like Eldora, which is number one Boulder ski resort, <laughs> closest at least. Yeah. I mean, I guess my thinking is, so like during La Nina, you tend to get um, more of a Pacific north like a North Pacific jet that kind of comes from northwest to southeast, say like the, from the Pacific Northwest into western Colorado, if I understand correctly, when I remember right. the past La Nina years. And so that would favor more snowfall for high country because you get you know more upslope um, from the westerly winds. Yeah, that would really help steamboat. Yeah, they really get the it. Northwest mountains. So maybe my thinking would be this year with El Nino and it being a really strong one, maybe that would favor southwestern Colorado because you have a subtropical jet, more enhanced. Um, Good for the Wasatch. And in terms of Boulder, you know, I would say it's maybe a little bit on the fence. I don't know what yeah, you think, but... That's exactly what I was going to say. But I would say if you get, you know, a cutoff low, that's that's... I would say maybe it's a better chance of getting these cutoff lows forming in the southwest and depending on the track of those you know could be some good snow producers um but like you said and maybe last week's podcast we maybe want to focus on the spring season for that when you know on average we tend to get more of our snow in the spring season so yeah whereas you know december january february is kind of the drier part of boulder for snowfall Interesting statistic, well, pseudo-statistic, roughly 50% of our mountain snowpack comes from 10% of the snowstorms. <laughs> so, it's more, one or two snowstorms can make or break a ski season. Yeah. You know, just a couple, you know, you know, the fate of your ski season is in the hands of a few big storms. And so, like you said, you know, if we get one cut off low, that really... If it sits there for a few days, you know, and just does a lot, then yeah, like we did this past week, you know, just yeah. be a little colder, pretty much, or one sustained serious upslope event, <laughs> or yeah. sorry, uh, 
like orographic westerly flow in the Pacific then, you know. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, El Nino's a little bit overhyped. I think so. I mean, but, I mean, it's kind of the main thing that most people understand. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, ten years ago, maybe even, like, five years ago, a lot of people didn't even know what El Nino was. Yeah. Isn't that weird how, how ubiquitous it is, sort of? Yeah. yeah. I would say. <laughs> then that would mean no one knew about the PDO. Like yeah. Ten years ago, the PDO is the El Nino. Ten years, ten years ago now. Ten more years, everyone will be talking about the PDO. Yep, yep. In common language, and everyone will know what it is. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. In case the listeners don't know, the PDO is the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. So another heavily <laughs> underappreciated climate indice. Just not well known, actually. It's not really known. Yeah, the true. exact mechanisms. That there's a lot of theories, but I don't think there's a well accepted mechanism for what drives it. It's sort of like a decadal El Nino in some ways because it's really uh, has a similar pattern to El Nino. So, but yeah, did we answer? He mentioned physically how that would happen. Did we explain all of that part? I guess. So, just El Nino. You mentioned the more southern storm tracks. That's my guess. Right. So that would be more interaction from the. Subtropical Pineapple Express yeah. jet. And maybe if you have interaction between the polar jet from the north and the subtropical jet to the north, uh, to the south, sometimes they can merge, yeah. and then that can produce quite a quite a storm because it mixes in the cold air with the moisture and get a lot of upper level divergence and for for lift. <laughs> yeah, but um, it's yeah. Interesting. But sometimes you can get the split flow. You'll get a polar polar jet coming in from the north, diving south, and you'll get the uh, subtropical jet from the southwest. And so you can get, depending on how they interact, you know, it depends where the cutoff low might go. I mean, it could get pushed to the south, or you know. Yeah, that's another concern. So now, when this tracks maybe more too far south this year, possible, yeah. We've Could never, be. we have to admit, I've never experienced an El Nino in Colorado yet. So. Yeah. So. so we're not as strong as 1997, but still pretty good El Nino in place. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything. <laughs> it only slightly alters our chances of a good snow year. Yeah. Or a bad snow year. I would, I would say there's probably a good chance maybe the mountains in southwest Colorado would probably have a little bit more snowpack than they had say last year but that's just a really <laughs> very simple hypothesis <laughs> but um and that all depends on Enzo so yeah I don't know what you think but that's just my guess <laughs> I agree overall I would say it probably just depends on the strength of that subtropical jet and then how it interacts with the polar jet as to what you're going to get, as to where the tracks of these systems are going to go, and then if there's a merging between the two jet streams. And so, yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. But okay. go, going along those lines, um, <clears throat> with the Pineapple Express, there's this other, <laughs> maybe the listener wants to know, but um, there's this other one, 
oscillation in the Indian Ocean. It's called the Madden-Julian Oscillation, or MJO. And I don't know a whole lot about it, but basically it's driven by like tropical convection over the Indian Ocean. And some of this convection can reach the western to central uh, Pacific Ocean. And I believe some of this moisture could eventually track through, you know, the Hawaii area and become part of the Pineapple Express to impact, say, Colorado two weeks later, um, where you have, say, like an event in the Western Pacific or Indian Ocean, how it can track eastward and impact Colorado two weeks later. I don't know if you've heard that, but... um. I know the Weather Service kind of talks about that a little bit. So Yeah, I've heard about it. So that's another player that could be sort of con- yeah, similar to this term, Pineapple Express, as yeah. to you know where the moisture for that express comes from. So just a little tidbit before we go into Listeners our... like tidbits. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we might as well go into our... Topic of the week. Ben has a interesting topic that a uh, uh, research article for what the projections of uh, water resources for Boulder would be in yeah. the looking into the future. Yeah. So I mean, basically, we're trying to. This article is looking into what what the water resources will be for Boulder in the in the future with um, potential climate change. You know, are we going to see more droughts? Are we going to see increased rainfall? Um, is that going to uh, kind of what impact that's going to have on our uh, water resources? Because we get a lot of our water from uh, reservoirs, and that depends on the snowpack in the mountains. And so, if we get sort of a drought pattern in the, in the future, as um, some climate some cl- climate models are projecting more drought in the western U.S. So that would mean less snowpack, and less snowpack would mean um, less, you know, water storage in the summertime from being stored in reservoirs. So that's kind of what this article is looking at. Yeah. So basically this article comes from the climate.gov website, which is the kind of twin brother of weather.gov, run by (laughs) NOAA. National Ocean. Yeah. Long term uh, goals, whereas weather.gov's you know, short term weather forecasting and informing the public, this is more long range type deals. Which would have went along with the uh, climate forecast centers that they were proposing. Oh, yeah. That's... Remember those? Yeah. That I don't think ever came to fruition. I don't think so. They almost shut down the entire NWS. <laughs> They're definitely not getting a, a climate forecasting service (laughs) maybe in the future who knows um yes but basically this article talks about um well you you meant you hit it on the head there but they ran some specific climate models to gauge um how the weather will evolve over the next uh by 2030 and by 2070 maybe you want to explain briefly like what are what is a climate model? So like, what's different between a climate model and say like a model that forecasts like 
seven days out. What do you think? Um, There's a lot of differences. Yeah, there's a lot of differences. So mainly for a climate model, you're going to be looking at mostly decadal and longer um, type changes. Um, look at maybe like monthly averages and then project that kind of forward in time as, well, as opposed to like a forecast model. You're looking at just kind of hours to days and maybe even weeks. But um, Yeah, you change your resolutions. Yeah. You have a much larger spatial resolution for climate models. Yeah. And a much larger um, temporal resolution. Yeah. I mean, and then some of these... Larger, but... And some of these models can be run... A forecast model usually runs at the most like a month, but these climate models can run for hundreds of years. Yeah, or thousands. Or thousands. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Which so, is just pointless, but... And a climate model wants to try to get the mean state of the atmosphere at some proposed amount of time ahead into the future, say 50 years or something yeah. like that. Whereas a weather forecast is looking at, you know, what's what's the weather going to look like, not climate. So Yeah, and the, the cool thing to do nowadays with climate models is inject forcing from climate change and global, uh, you know, environmental emissions or anthropogenic emissions. So that was part of it. You can, climate models have these secret parameters you can just alter, <laughs> right? Something along these lines. Yeah, they can. You, can. you can just basically say in 100 years, there's going to be this much carbon in the atmosphere. You can set these carbon forcings. Yeah. And that is essentially, they're looking for responses to those mm-hmm. from various parts. So they did that. They ran one with low emissions and one with um, higher emissions, kind of like the IPCC does with their... Um, what is it called? CMIPS? Yeah, Climate Coupled Model Intercomparison Project. Yeah. CMIPS. <laughs> CMIPS. <laughs> um, but they basically ran this and said, more or less, there's a 50-50 chance Boulder could be drier or wetter. Equal, equal chance. In the future, yeah. <laughs> but that got people asking questions, you know, could Boulder withstand the you know, the drying that might happen in the future. Um, but they did project that if droughts do occur, they would last longer than they currently do. Apparently the average drought currently is 4.5 years. In the future, they say uh, it'll be somewhere between 5 and 11 years based on these models that they ran. Okay. So if you do get into a water shortage situation, it'll be it'll last longer. Okay. So... Essentially, this got the city um, proactive. You know, proactive. You know, it's Boulder. They're all about environment and you know being somewhat proactive. Yeah, they are for things. So there were, you know, can we deal with this in the future? How can we prepare now? And you know, what can we look at to make sure we're ready? Pretty much. Um. Yeah. So. So where do we get our water? I mean, you talked about this earlier in the podcast. Snowpack? Yeah. Oh, the, the Arapaho. Specifically, Arapaho, the Arapaho, Arapaho Glacier. Arapaho Glacier, yeah. So it turns out 100 years ago, Boulder actually bought eight square miles in the Arapaho Basin because they knew they would need that water. So when you buy that, does that mean no one else can use that water? I don't know if they bought it or just, like, took it. Because <laughs> it was a hundred years ago, it was really here. It's true. Um, well, Denver was probably here. 
No, mm -hmm. Golden was probably here. Yeah. But but it was too far south. Here, but, um. I mean, when you buy it, I mean, I guess you you said they were making these uh, um, basically restructuring where the water goes yeah. in Boulder, like these reservoirs, or what are they called? Like, not reservoirs, but like um, different channels of um, where the water can flow. Yeah, I don't know what those are called. Something. Stream. Aqueducts? I don't know what they, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the Greeks are called. <laughs> the Romans. But yeah, and Boulder has like, tons of those yeah most like, of them are half of them are empty half the time and just a lot of them just like diverge and diverge into another one and meet up eventually into the reservoirs it kind of all happens behind the scenes it does the city of boulder you know opening certain gates and diverting water to certain reservoirs that are low and just making sure they have enough stored yeah so as far as what's going to happen in the future one thing's almost certain is that the stream flow is going to peak sooner in the year. Okay. So we're going to be able to reach the melting point of the mountain snowpack sooner in the year. So instead of our peaks, um, our peak snowpack now is in, um, I think mid May. April. Oh, April. It could be in May. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't have the exact exact <laughs> figure right here, but yeah, I can't remember. Regardless, it's going to become. If the snow's going to start melting sooner, and everyone pretty much agrees on that, you know, because there's no dispute that the temperature's going to warm in the future, 30 years down the road, 70 yeah. years down the road. Um, that's pretty much a lost cause, but the precipitation's a little bit more tricky. But because of the temperature, it's not in Boulder's, you know, um, extreme um, stream flow being determined so much by temperature and that's how much that's what really controls our water mm -hmm. yeah so that's they're saying that the peak stream flow is going to move from earlier towards march you know it's going to increase stream flow but then that's going to leave less snow for the end of the, the summer season okay. from like july to august so we'd have to get like an increased monsoon to yeah so that'll be interesting Basically, they said that basically the city, the city study said this would end up being useful for the city because they'd be able to have longer periods to collect their um, water for the reservoirs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a good study. I mean, I think it's pretty beneficial, so they can kind of kind of plan ahead in the future and you know figure out some way to mitigate future droughts if they. If they are, in fact, you know, possibly longer lasting than what we experience now, what we experience now. So, um, I wonder how they could store that water. I mean, is that just keeping it in the reservoirs? Yep, that's why Boulder has like fifty reservoirs. Fifty reservoirs? I don't know what the exact number is. Um, I'm sure this article might say it, but um, then it goes into more about. Boulder is pretty much, essentially it comes down to Boulder would be immune to these changes because they can basically, they get the first shot at taking the water to their reservoirs. So if there's not as much water, the impacts move more downstream to the other parts of Colorado that rely on the Boulder Creek. Which is like in the plains? 
Yeah, guess. like the farmers a little bit further out. Greeley and stuff. Um, places like that. And then they go into explaining some of the water rules, like who could take the water. Yeah. I was, when I worked at the weather service last year, I was, uh, this one forecaster was telling me, like, how complicated all the water rights are in the West. Yep. And That's so. That's kind of what I'm going to go into here. Yeah. So. They said that basically, it det- basically there's things called senior water rights. That basically whoever laid claim to the water first gets claim to the water when there's a shortage. Hmm. Makes sense. So. <laughs> and I'm sure that's different as well with like California and like say Las Vegas that gets some of its water from the, the Colorado River. But that wouldn't be impacting Boulder, but you know, looking forward yeah. to that too, you know. That's true. But apparently Boulder, since it was established in 1859, has some of the eldest water rights. <laughs> um, but it also has less rights to, as far as filling its reservoirs. Hmm. How's that? Because um, it owns its... It says they have pretty much good rights to store water between mid-April and June. Um but after June, the farmers have more senior rights. So it depends on the time of year, because they were there between slightly earlier, apparently. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, because they were their their rights were established before Boulder's rights to fill the reservoirs. Okay. But essentially, Boulder has rights to take as much water as it wants to use actively, but not store it. Okay. Which is great until you get to September and there's no snowpack and there's nothing you can take. <laughs> so this, you can see how this could become a problem. Yeah. The, the water rights that date back to the 1800s uh, may need to be adjusted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's crazy. They go all the way back to the 1800s. Seems like it's could have been updated by then. <laughs> Especially because there's so much more population in the West now. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, especially California, but Colorado is in- increasing quite a bit, I would say. I don't know what the increase percentage is, but I know it's, in the least the past five years, it's Boulder's gotten bigger, and Denver for sure, too. So, I mean, luckily we haven't experienced a drought out here since I've been out here. I mean, it was dry... You know, a few years, but it wasn't like extreme, like California is experiencing. Yeah, that's for sure. Because, uh, yeah, if we didn't have the snowpack, then we'd be basically relying on the monsoon. That's true. Yeah. Um, but it boils down this that the that the city is not going to take any direct action at this point to um, you know future proof border anyway. I think they're in a pretty good place. Um, as far as getting yeah. their water earlier, but enough of it when the farmers don't really need it. Mm-hmm. Because the farmers, um, just because there's more water coming down in April doesn't really mean anything for the farmers. They don't need it until May because, you know, their uh, growing season is still limited by sunlight and whatnot. 
So that's yeah. not changing. Yeah. So, you know, temperature's a little warmer, so the growing season might shift slightly earlier, but it's not going to shift as much as the snowpack mm-hmm. melting. So Boulder really doesn't think there's going to be an issue. They'll be able to fill their um, reservoirs earlier, but still to the same amount, and prepare for the rest of the dry summer. But ultimately, it's going to be the farmers losing out because um, there's going to be less water available towards the end of the summer. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. not because Boulder's stealing it. <laughs> but just because they have the, the rights on it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing... I mean, I don't, this doesn't really mention it here, but why can't the farmers somehow steal water and store it in their reservoirs? That's a good question. Yeah. I guess. I, don't know. I guess they could. Right, you can just store it. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. There's some kind of law restricting farmers from having massive reservoirs like cities can have. Oh, because. Yeah. I guess I could see that. Or if they could just actively take water from a river, but not. They must have to use it or something. They can't yeah. store it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not super familiar with these rules. I don't know. I heard from someone. I think at Noah, but um, he was saying how I like. I guess in California it's slightly different. A vast majority of people have, uh, farmers have the, most of the, use most of the water. Really? That's what, that's what I heard. I don't know if it's true, but I guess because they have... Senior rights. They got to make all the crops, I guess. And they were probably there before most of the people. Yeah. And all the cities developed. Yeah. Just exploded. So they got <laughs> This is where Colorado's going. I guess, a, I guess apparently there's not much of a restriction on how much water the farmers can use out there hmm. which maybe they want to adjust maybe for the drought I guess because they wouldn't want them to use you know too much water because they got to make sure that the rest of the state has some but yeah there's a lot of complex water rights it's crazy really you definitely is. you definitely don't experience this in the Midwest because you have yeah you, you got the Mississippi River and you got uh, just a lot of rivers around and lakes, so uh, you never really have this issue unless it's like an extreme, extreme drought. But um, yeah, I so see. so when I came out here ten years, no, five years ago. Whoa, how old are you? <laughs> yeah, I come out here five years ago. Yeah, it's just a different. You just learn something different about, you know, because you gotta you live in a basically a. Dry climate, so you gotta do something about the reduced water you get, reduced rainfall you get every year, and snow. Yep. So, um, but yeah, no media changes for the residents of Boulder as far as water usage. That's good news. Um, the city's just keeping an open mind, and I'd say know, they're being ready to adapt to whatever happens. There's no. Point in jumping the gun when the models are only split fifty-fifty about what's going to happen, and yeah, so. I guess that's always the one thing I have when they try to project uh, like forward in time. I guess like there's always, you know, say fifty years in, in advance. Yeah, it makes it a little more difficult, I think, just from a weather perspective. You know, trying to predict one week out is is pretty hard, but <laughs> trying to go in the future is pretty hard too. But in regional changes, that is. But yeah, yeah, but they do broad brushes. <laughs> they do this whole giant region 
might be a little bit warmer over the course of a year. Yeah. They don't try and predict single weather events. True. True. I mean, <laughs> it's all about resolution and yeah time scales and yeah what you can what your model can really handle. Pretty much. Yeah. And I don't know. They're based on the same principles. Yeah, similar principles. Yeah, initial conditions and stuff like that. But anything else you wanted to mention about that? Um. No, I don't think so. I thought it was just interesting about some of the technicalities with water rights and. Yeah, that was interesting. What? I don't know how Boulder manages this water. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting. You don't really realize how many article. reservoirs there are. They're kind of hidden all over town. Not yeah. hidden, but... The big ones you can see, but the small I mean, ones... I how don't many know. do we really know about? <laughs> Let me see how many... See if I can count. Yeah, it'd be interesting. See how many there are, actually. I'm not really sure. I would guess 15. What would you guess? 10? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to really say which ones are actually reservoirs. I mean, Some of them are called lakes. So we have Baseline Lake, which is a reservoir. That's boulders? I don't know. That's private, but I'm not sure if it's boulders or not. So there's Valmont Reservoir. Have you seen that one? Mm, I don't think so. Interesting. It's on Valmont 75th. Oh, yeah, I don't know can't picture that. Um, there's also Hillcrest Reservoir, Leggett Reservoir. <laughs> Interesting. That's a lot. And then there's just there's a ton of reservoirs right here. I'm not even going to name these. <laughs> They're not named. But um, this is south of J, west of 63rd, or east of 63rd. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah. And there's Six Mile Reservoir. Six Mile? Border Reservoir. <laughs> the ones in Louisville, are those also part of Boulder? I'm not really sure. Like the Longmont Reservoir, or is that one? Prince Reservoir, Elmwood Reservoir, these are in Erie. Because, I mean, is it just counting the ones in the city, or is like also counting the county, like Boulder County? I'm not counting anything. I don't know. You can count whatever you want. <laughs> I guess whatever, you know, belongs to Boulder in terms of rights, I guess. But Yeah, I mean, none of them are natural, so whoever made the reservoir. <laughs> I wonder how they make a reservoir. Just dig out a huge chunk of dirt in the ground and then fill it up. More or less. Either dig it or just... You build a little mini dam, like the baseline uh, reservoir has a huge dam on the one side. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know who built it. Hmm. Apparently, we'll never know how many reservoirs Boulder has, but regardless, <laughs> it's a, a lot. It's a secret. <laughs> I can't really find the information I'm looking for. Hold on one minute. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was a really interesting article, and I think it's 
important, I guess, to know the future. So. Yeah, but it was interesting. I was good that the city was it was kind of a collaborative effort between CU, NCAR, NOAA. Um, oh, okay. I think another organization. So, with the city of Boulder. Yeah, I mean they. With, with that goal in mind. I would say Boulder's kind of in a. They're 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 pretty ad- adapted, I think, to the future right now, and they're always proactive about those kind of things. So, yeah. So they'll be the first to change if there's if it's needed. I mean, compared to other cities, I would say they're pretty advanced in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, we got any other good stories? Did we fully cover this listener's question? Um, yeah, I say we did. I would, yeah, I would tell them, you know, if you're going to come out of here to go skiing, I'd say definitely uh, looks good for the mountains at least. You know, if you're planning a trip quite far in advance, you know, I'd say you're probably okay to have a normal year at least. Yeah. Um, but if you're the kind of guy that has likes to make short-term plans, you better check the Bouldercast website for Powdercast. Yeah. You see a good snowstorm coming with the promise of... 10 to 30 inches of hail, then... 30 inches? <laughs> could happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you should get your plane ticket and be on your way. Yeah, just come out and enjoy the snow. But, yeah, cause that's all I got. Yeah. I think we covered everything. Yeah. Thanks for listening, as always, and we will catch you on the flip side next week. Yeah. Last week of October. Yeah. Halloween's coming up quick. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Lots of haunted activities. <laughs> we'll have to have a special topic next week. I'll have to think hard about it. Yeah, maybe like uh, historic storms during Halloween or something. Yeah. Snowfalls or something. We could debunk the uh, <laughs> Halloween snow myth for Denver and Boulder. Yeah. There's a kind of a belief that it snows... Most frequently on Halloween or something? In Denver? Did you ever see that? I think I heard something like this. like Halloween is like the one day that snows on. <laughs> I don't know. But we'll have to look about that for next week. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. All right. All right, take it easy, everybody. Good night. Good Goodbye. night.